God is in fact good. It's, I, I really find that we're going to, I believe that we're going to find that it's going to be really sweet as we finish this up here today with who God is and how he views us and then vice versa. Uh, Ted, Ted Fusi, some of you know Ted Fusi. Ted Fusi and I were playing chess the other day. Neither of us are very good. We're pretty even caliber chess players. And because of the fact that we're playing chess, neither one of us is very good. He says to me, he says, you know, uh, how would we make this interesting? I said, oh, okay, that, sound, that sounds fine. Let's, let's do that. So we quit playing. <laughs> that was Ted's joke. I, I can't take credit for that one. Uh, that was funny. So there's these four pastors, and they, they meet regularly, and... And as they were meeting, they, they started kind of discussing the struggles that they have with their congregations and the, the heavy burdens that their people carry. And they, they said, you know, we're, we're listening to all of these repentance, repentance stories and confessions every time. There's such a, a healing and a health that confession, you know, really brings a health to the soul. And so one of them said, you know, I think maybe we ought to do the same thing. We're listening to their confessions all the time. Maybe maybe we should engage in that. And so reluctantly, the four of them decided to, okay, fine, we're on. So the guy that brought it up, he, he started. He said, well, i got to be honest with you guys. I, it's, I've been really struggling with this, and I don't know how to bring this up. I, I'm afraid to it. He said, but I've really been struggling with shoplifting. I go into stores. I can't help myself. I take things. You know, I just, it's the thrill of getting away from, getting away with these things that I, I just, I can't help myself. And so the other guys listened and showed some compassion. The next guy says, well, I actually have been struggling with golfing. I say, what golfing? What do you mean a bad golf game? He says, no, 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 nothing like that. He says, I've been telling my people, my secretary in the congregation that I've been out in meetings and meeting with people and in visitation. And I'm not doing that. I'm golfing all day, every day. I'm never at the, I'm just golfing. And I feel, I'm feeling a little bit guilty about that. I just, I don't, I feel like I need to get that off my chest. And the third guy says, well, I, my issue is fishing. What do you mean fishing? You can't catch any fish? He said, no. I said, I've been catching them like crazy. I have like a hundred walleye in my freezer right now. And I'm, it's basically, I'm poaching. Finally, the third guy or the fourth guy there, they're, they're saying, hey, what about you? I said, well, I really don't want to say. No, no, come on, tell us, tell us. It's like, no, really, guys, I don't, I'd rather keep to myself. Hey, we all share, time to you share. He says, well, my struggle is gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here and tell everyone. <laughs> In this passage, what's interesting here, and we'll look at it here right off the get-go. I'm going to pull my clicker out. What we find is there's actually gossip going on. And it's in a unique way, and really what we're going to see here is there's some gossip that's happening, and it's with the Israelites, but it's not gossiping about each other. In a way, it's actually gossiping about God and slandering his name. You know, there's a, an old Jewish folklore story that I read throughout this last week, and I talked about this man who was basically gossiping. And I don't know if it's a true story. It's folklore in that way. And he goes to the rabbi and he repents of it. He says, here's the thing, rabbi. I have been gossiping about you and cutting your name down all around town and I've been doing it for years. And he says, I'm sorry for that. And he says, what do I have to do to make it up to you? And the rabbi says, I want you to go and I want you to take a pillow. I want you to walk into the center of, of the city in the, in the square, and I want you to cut, cut open or rip open that pillow and just let it fly. And so, and then I want you to come back. So he goes and he does that, and he comes back. And he says, well, I did that, Rabbi. Now, now what? And he says, now to help you understand the damage that you do with the slanderous words that you use, I want you to go and find every feather that flew out of that pillow. 
And that, that's kind of the picture here. And what we have is these Israelites are slandering God's name. And these are God's people that are supposed to be representing him and promoting who God is and all of his grace and all of his mercy and all of his power. And these people are cutting him down. If you've lived this life very long, likely you have encountered someone who has cut you down in such a way where your name has been drugged through the mud, whether it was an enemy or whether it was someone you cared about deeply, you've been hurt likely, or you know someone who's been hurt by this reality of gossip, this idea of slander. And just so you know, God has experienced that as well. We know it in the New Testament when you read the story of Christ, but here it is in the Old Testament. And God says to the Israelites here, he says, you have spoken arrogantly. Some versions, I think the New Living Translation uses the word, you have spoken terrible words against me, says the Lord. And what I find so astounding with this is this is the exact opposite of what these people are called to do. They're, they're called to promote the name of God. And here these people are absolutely cutting this God down. And they say, what, what do you mean? We haven't said anything against you to your face. You know? Where you know sometimes what you think and what you say, whether it's about other people. We keep it to ourselves or we're going to slide it into the safe areas of our conversations, people who we trust in that way. But we would never say these things to the person who is the direct uh, effect, the, the recipient, who, who it's about. And so what we have here is the Israelites are basically slandering God's name. They're doing it amongst themselves and they're basically defaming the name of God. And they're, they're cutting him down, saying God is not. And here, look at what some of the things that, that we see here. This is prophesied by Isaiah, and we'll see Matthew quoted. I know we looked at this already in this book of Malachi, but this points to really what's going on here because these people go face to face with God and say, oh God, you're great. And that when they go off then on their own, they're saying, God's a loser is really what they're saying. But Isaiah 29 it speaks to this fact. And it says, and so the Lord says, these people, they say that they're mine. They come to me with their right lips. They say all of the right things when they're in the right place. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are nowhere near me. Their hearts don't, they're not into it. Not only are they not into it, they could care less is what it feels like. And the worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. In other words, there is no true worship. They don't look at me and go, man, God, thank you. You are amazing. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Their, their worship is nowhere near there. Their worship is, look at me, watch me praise God, and so that you think that I'm holy and have it all together. And then they go home, and they're nowhere near that. Matthew 15, Jesus quotes the same one, and he's, te- he's speaking to the religious leaders and the rulers. He says, you hypocrites, you guys who act one way and do another thing, that's what hypocrite means. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, this is the exact quote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The worship is a farce. I like that word. It's just an absolute joke. It's pretend. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. We can't hide. No matter what you think, what you say. If you say something about someone else, you say something about God, God knows your heart is really what we're going to see here. God knows who you are. God knows the struggles. And sometimes we look at this as like, here is God through the magnifying lens. He's got us, and he's kind of trying to find and point out everything that we do wrong. And I don't think that's the picture that we're really supposed to see here. I think what we're supposed to see here is we have a God who not only sees everything, but why can he see and why does, what does he want to do with that? He wants to have intimate relationship with us through this. So look at that through that lens. He says, am I 
Only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not far away. In other words, when you come into the temple, am I, is that the only time that I'm God? Or am I also God when you're out away from church? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. I know everything that you say. I know everything that you do. I know everything that you said to someone else. And this is what really struggles. And we, we take this, and I understand it, and it's, it's true. He knows our thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. We can't hide. And that for some of us, that makes us feel very vulnerable. And that's an okay place to be where we really struggle with this. Like, man, God knows everything about me. It's like, man, why doesn't he just crush me? He should just stomp on me because all this is revealed. And that's the beauty of it. He doesn't want to stomp on you. He wants your affection. We looked at that earlier in Malachi. Who can hide from him so that he cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill the... <clears throat> Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Psalm 139. Very well-known passage. We've got just a few verses in here. But look at the heart of God in the midst of this. And there's a point to this because it's going to reveal this heart that God has for us and the heart that he longs for us to have for him. See, so where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's like, oh man, can I ever hide from you? Can I ever take my sin and hide so you can't see it? We, we go there, and that's true, but it's also true in this reality that he sees you, he wants to be with you, he loves you, despite all that you're wanting to hide from. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. In other words, I can't go anywhere. I can't get too high, I can't get too low, and you are there with me. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and I settle on the far side of the sea, in other words, if I get up over here and I end up way over there, God is with you there. Have you ever considered the thought, when you're flying in an airplane, God's with you just as much there as you're airborne? And maybe this doesn't awe anyone else, but it's just astounding to me as he is with you here. He's, he's with you just as much as when you're on the mountaintop. Like literally, if you've ever climbed a mountain, you look over, it's like, wow, this is incredible. And you feel like because you're so high and you're in the midst of all of God's creation, it's like, wow, this is magnificent. I feel like I'm really with God right now. He's just as much with you there as he is with you in the bathroom. You know, it's just like, what? Wait a minute. No, that's kind of gross. Yeah. But there's this reality of this beauty that you can't escape from him. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light becomes night around me. Look at the beauty of this verse 12. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. No matter how dark things get in our lives and what we're facing, the darkness is never dark to God. He can see in the dark. It's penetrating. It's fabulous. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. Hear this part. This is what's really going to be pertinent to what we want, I want us to see here this morning in this passage. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth... Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want you to hear this. You are on God's mind. He's thinking about you. Not only does he love you, he's actually enamored. He's, he's thinking about you. I wrote in the emails, it's a true story. You know, when you have a girlfriend and that transitions into something, you know, more... You can't help it, but your mind is always 
on her. When I first met Sarah, Sarah loves it when I tell stories about our past. Uh, she, she accuses me of not getting them totally right. She's the one that's wrong. She just doesn't remember well. It's her age. She's getting older. But I do remember. I remember the moments when I first saw her. And even after that, days, I didn't even know her yet. And there was something like, wow, I can't really get her out of my mind. So your thoughts are enamored with who that person is. Many of you have experienced this, right? And so then you go on and, and you continue to think about it. And then maybe in a, a relationship that, that becomes something more, so you, you spend some time together. And Sarah and I went on that, that, that first date that I wrote about. It's like, wow. I want to do that again. And I, I remember going to bed that night. I, said, I really can't sleep because I keep replaying these moments. It's like, she's on my mind. And I learned then later, it's like, well, I was on her mind as well. Who knew? I wanted that, but I didn't expect that. because, like, But this is the picture that I really want us to see today. You are on God's mind. And he wants you to have him on your mind as well. And we're going to see that contrasted. So this, this first group, and we're almost back into Malachi here in a second, but this first group that we're looking at, they're, they're slandering the name of God. God is not on their mind and in their thoughts like God would like them to be. And then we're going to see this shift, and he's going to give us this contrast of another group of Israelites who are represented as like, yeah, these people have me on their mind. We'll look at that. Psalm 139, last two verses, I believe. How precious you are, excuse me, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. Do you resonate with that? And this is not some kind of a crazy guilt trip. That's not my goal in this point. But just reflect on what, it, what is it that occupies your thoughts and mind? Did you just buy a new vehicle? You know, I know that it's like. Okay, well, this has been a long time since I bought a new vehicle. I don't buy vehicles very much. Uh, something better, okay? Anyway, you, you, your mind gets occupied with what it is that you're like, oh, and you get so enamored with it and you, you focus on it. I'm not telling you to go get rid of your vehicles. That's not the point. The point of it is, what is it that's occupying your mind? Wrestle with that reality. And God, this is what we find in Psalm 133, how precious are the thoughts of God. Are the thoughts of God precious to you? How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Hebrews 4, New Testament. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knows you. He knows you better than you even know yourself. And that's what we're going to see here. Okay, Malachi 3. You have spoken arrogantly against me. You have spoken terrible things against me, says the Lord. And yet you ask, what? what have we ever said about you to your face? And he says, you have said it is vain to serve God. There's, there's three elements I wanted to see in this verse. Three things that they're, they're pointing out. It's vain. That's number one. Vain to serve God. We're going to look at each one of those real briefly. What this vanity means. Uh, the next one is, and what profit is it that we have kept his charge? In other words, to what benefit, what profit, what payment have I received for obeying you? Is really what that one's getting at. And then the third one, he says, and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And this idea is we walked in mourning and in repentance. We have, we've put on the sackcloth and ashes and we've walked before you like, oh, paying our penance through sorrow. And we're going to look at that as well. Fasting would likely be included in that idea of mourning. So there's three elements here. 
Ecclesiastes 1, it uses this word vanity so we can have an understanding of this word vanity. I like this. So, so the words, and perhaps you've heard this from Ecclesiastes. Solomon was the one that wrote this. The words of the preacher, the, preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. In verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All right, we've heard that phrase. What in the world does that mean? We'll take a look at that in a second. What advantage does a man have in all of his work, which he does under the sun? In other words, it is meaningless. Other translations put it that way. So the words are meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then he says, What do people gain from all of their labors through which they toil under the sun? Solomon, the, the, the word vanity is meaningless. It's vain. So basically what the Israelites are saying, it is meaningless to serve God. It's just, it's pointless. We've done this to serve you, and what? There's been no benefit to us. And so this is a, those slanderous words. Here you have this God who has loved the people. We saw that right away in chapter 1. This God who has loved the people. And these people are saying, it's meaningless. You can say you love me, but it's just, it's garbage. It's really the emphasis that's going on here. It's an astounding accusation that they're making to God saying, to serve you, it means nothing. It's like, it's like the vapor. It's, eh. Can't even, it's untangible. You can't touch it. The second one is profit. So, in other words, they're saying, What have we gained by obeying you? You've given us these commands. We've kept your commands. We've kept your decrees, all of your charges. And what have we benefited? The word here would be profit. That kind of comes from this, what we find in Genesis 37. It says, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? So, in other words, they're ready. They were, this is the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, Joseph was the one that everyone despised and hated because he was loved more by Jacob than any of the others. And so they got so sick of him, he only had the dream, he had the coat. And they said, let's kill him. And Judah says, what would we gain? What would be to our benefit? What can I tangibly get if we just kill him? Yeah, he's out of here, but I want something more. I want some money. I want my cut is actually where that root word comes from for this idea of profit in the Old Testament. What's my cut? What do I get from this? And so they said, hey, instead of killing him, let's get something tangible. I want to have something that I can hold on to. Let's sell him. And that's really what was happening here. So we understand then when we look at what the Israelites are saying, hey, to to follow God has been vain. We have gained nothing. I've gotten nothing tangible from obeying his decrees. That's what's being said by the Israelites. And there's a third one, and this is that idea of the morning and the the fasting says, basically, we've gone and we've done this for for nothing as well. We've, We've repented, we've fasted. For what? Isaiah 58 points it out this way. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right. So here they are, they're pretending like, hey, we do everything that's right, and God says, you're missing the point. Look at the point. And it has not forsaken the commands of, of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted? They asked, in other words, we fasted. We, we, we put ourselves out there. We suffered. We, we were in mourning, and yet you've done nothing to appease us. They say, and you have not seen it. In other words, here I am fasting, and God, you don't even notice. Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. So here they are. They're fasting for show. 
They're getting out there. Hey, everyone, look at me. I'm in mourning. I'm wearing my sackcloth. I'm wearing my ashes. I want everyone to see how holy and spiritual I am. Look at what I'm doing for God. And yet God's not doing anything for them in their mind. Very much victim mentality. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what this fasting is all about, just so you have this image of how holy you are? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Oh, look at the contrast. And this screams relationship to me to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to the oppressed, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So there's these three aspects. Okay, to, to what they're assessing is that God has not done anything. We have served him, and it's been for nothing. We have gained nothing. There's this big old pity party, and they're taking all this belief, false belief, and they're cutting down the name of God. But now we call the arrogant blessed. This is what these, these people are saying yet. We call the arrogant. Those who are wicked, we've looked at this before in Malachi, we call them blessed. They're the ones that are prospering. We look at our enemies who are supposedly enemies of God, and they're the ones that are benefiting, and we gain nothing. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. God, you care for them more than you care for us. Then those who feared God spoke to each other. So uh, just understand this contrast. Here you have these people who are cutting down the name of the God. And now you have this contrast in verse 16 of those who do fear God. So you got these people, they're, they're cutting God down, and you have this other group of people that fear him. And I, there's a word in here that I just really want us to focus on because I think this is just astounding. So Malachi 3.16, he says, though, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. And the Lord, I like this, the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. You see that? Not all the versions there. It, the word is there, and I don't know why some, like the NIV leaves the word thought out, but, it, but it's, it's there. So it says, names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Understanding what's on the mind of these Israelites. It's not about, hey, we better serve God better so we're accepted. It's not about, hey, we better, we better fast and mourn so people can see it, so God can see it, and then when God sees all that I'm doing, then I will be blessed for it. It's not about obeying all of his rules so that I can sometime, somehow gain something. There's this, there's this reality that these people who fear God, what do they have? One thing in common God is on their mind. They're thinking about the Lord God Almighty. It's a, it's a really an astounding and beautiful thing. On the day when I act, says the Lord, these people, if they have me on their mind, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who served him. It's relationship. Malachi is a book, and it's speaking on relationship. It began with, I have loved you, and now we're transitioning to this. It's like, it's relationship. Do you understand? You guys are on my mind. I want to be on your mind. 
You will be my treasured possession. We looked at some of these things before. Look at this in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, this is us, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. Have you ever been out? We were out a couple weeks ago. I think it was Labor Day weekend, actually, just last week. And we saw the northern lights. I don't know if anyone else was able to see those. Pretty sweet, isn't it? You know, especially this time of year, normally that's a little bit different. But it's astounding when you go and you look at the majesty that's around you, all right? When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the way that God is orchestrating these things, the moon and the stars, what you have set in place, you look at the magnificence. You're up on a mountain. If you've ever climbed a mountain, you get to the peak and you look out to the expanse. It's, it's just awe-striking. And then we look at verse 4, and we see all of this awe. And it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of him? And the magnificence that you see in the sky, and the magnificence that you see, and the, the incredible gift of life, and the miracle of birth, and all of these aspects that we experience in this life. Wow, this stuff is incredible. How do you orchestrate all this? And then we come to this point, who am I that you're thinking about me? Who am I that I matter? And that's the truth and the reality that we see here in Psalm 8. You matter. Every single one of us matter. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? I mean, if you don't catch anything else, hear that reality first and foremost. You matter. Despite all the amazing things around you, you matter more than anyone else to God. And so do you, and so do you. First Peter 2. We looked at this before, too. I, just, I think these are powerful passages. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, that comes out of Isaiah 43. Why? Because you're precious to God. Why did God send a Savior? Because you're precious to him. Why does he want you to have your thoughts on him? Because you are precious to him. Consider your child or your spouse. You go, you want your person to be thinking about you. You want your wife, you want your husband, you want your children to be thinking about you. It's natural because it's relationship. Deuteronomy 7, For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Exodus 19, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these words are... These words you are to speak to the Israelites. And I share that, again, that's Old Testament, but Peter quotes the same thing for, for believers, for Christians. Revelation 1, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. You hear that? To Christ, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. Is that because he wants to oppress us with rules and obligations? No. Why is it? Because he loves us. Man, do you hear the reality? You are desperately on God's mind. He knows your struggles. He knows your frustrations. He knows your anger. Everything you dealt with this past week that was just a pain in the backside, God knows all about it. He knows. 
and he cares. It's, it's insane. How in the world, why in the world would he be mindful of me and all of my struggles? Because he loves and he cares. That's what the scriptures are telling us. And because he loves and he cares, you know what he's going to do? He's going to provide for us a means of salvation. It's just astounding. Malachi 3, and you will again see the distinction. So you may feel like, it's like, man, I've got all these struggles. Feel like those who are not following you have all, everything goes easy for them. And he's saying, just hold on. There's a hope that's a lot bigger than what you're dealing with here and now. You may suffer right now. This might be very difficult for you right now. He's not saying, hey, come to me and I'm going to flip the switch. Everything's going to be happy, hunky-dory. That's not, that's not what this is saying. But he is saying there's a hope. There's a deep, rich, and beautiful hope. And he says, and you will see that there will come a distinction between the, the righteous and the wicked. There's going to be a separation that's going to happen between those who serve God and those who do not. And then we get into basically this prophecy of the judgment day coming in Malachi 4, verses 1 through 6. But understand the beauty of this aspect. Says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant... And every evildoer will be stubble. And the day is coming, will set them on fire. And that, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. It's like, wow, that sounds like such destruction. It is, but it, bring, it comes with a season of hope. But for those who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes. This very much parallels, if you look in Revelation, as we went through it recently, there's a lot of aspects that just really coincide well with that. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah. Some look at this like, okay, this had to precede Christ's coming. There's, I know there's a lot of belief and theory and things like that. Uh, this does speak to a prophet like Elijah coming, and that would have been fulfilled in John the Baptist. And then it's also speaking towards the day of judgment. Will Elijah come back? Very possible, very likely, and there's a lot of evidence of that. But that's not our point for today. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn, This is hear this, he will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And this is more than just the physical here now. It is an aspect of that. But here this idea of God as our father and we are his children, this is designed to reestablish that beautiful, perfect relationship. What's your relationship with the Lord like today? Have you been, let's just be honest, have, have you been slanderous? Have you kind of wondered what's the point in following him? What have I gained? Maybe he's not on your mind. Maybe you don't want him to be on your mind. That doesn't change the reality that you are on his mind. He wants you to have him on your mind. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Here's how I want to wrap up Malachi. I'm going to invite Lane and Annie to come up to and we're going to transition. I want this to be a time of reflection. It's an invitation to reflect. It's an invitation to kind of take an inventory on yourself as far as where's its relationship, all right? That's what, it, that's what God's after. We see it, I feel like we see it clearly in this passage. It's relationship. 
And as, as Lane and Annie kind of just start to play to, to prepare us, I'm going to read through, these are a number of passages from Malachi I want to reemphasize. I want you to hear these coming directly from the book of Malachi. Malachi says, God says, I have loved you. You will see with your own eyes, and you will say, great is the Lord. I am the great king, says the Lord God Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The one who you desire will come. I will come near to you. I, the Lord, do not change. You will not be destroyed. Return to me, and I will return to you. Bring the tithes. Test me in this and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. You will be mine. I make you my treasured possession. I will spare you. The day is coming and it will burn like a furnace. When the day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Take some time, take an inventory in your own life. What's occupying your thoughts? Are you enamored with this great God of grace? And if, if that's not a huge part of your everyday, and you're just like, man, God, I am so thankful, take some time to reflect on the fact that He is so mindful of you. His thoughts are on you. And let that relationship build. And maybe you've never stepped into that relationship. Let that too. It's like, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. Let's start that today. But take some time as we worship, as we listen, reflect. If you want to stay sitting and praying, do that. If you feel like you need to reflect some more, by all means, do that. If you want to stand and sing, do that. That's okay. Any aspect of that is just fine. But this is a moment between you and the Lord to understand the relationship that he's calling you into. Because he wants to change our hearts. He's not okay with us staying status quo forever. He's not okay with our hearts being occupied by something or someone else. He wants our hearts to be occupied by him. This is not some kind of oppression. This is a beautiful thing. It's like, let's have relationship. Let's have relationship. Let's worship God.